0: Toronto Legends podcast. I am your host, Andrew Applebaum. My guest today is Mark Cohan, a passionate supporter and builder of both Toronto and Canada. Mark's business career has been incredibly varied. He co-founded the Georgian Bay Spirit Company. He is the chairman of the Canadian Academy of Recording Arts and Sciences and its crown jewel, the Juno Awards. He is the chairman of Toronto Global, our city's investment attraction agency. And in a past life, Mark was the 12th Commissioner of the Canadian Football League. In 2013, Mark was made a member of the Order of Ontario, the most prestigious civilian honour demonstrating the best of Ontario's caring and diverse society. And it should not surprise you that Mark comes from good stock, as his father, George, was the founder of McDonald's, both here in Canada and in Russia. Welcome, Mark, to Toronto Legends. Thank you for joining me. Where are you and how are you?
1: Uh thank you Andrew. I am first of all I'm great. I'm in the city that I love. I'm in Toronto. Uh was up north most of the summer uh, back and forth doing work but uh it's good to see the city vibrant and active and I was just at a TIFF premiere the other night and well, wow. Uh nice to see the city uh back to life again.
0: Yeah, for sure. So it sounds like you're back into the swing of things as uh, fall has rolled in. Exactly. Exactly. May I ask about your family? What is happening these days in the uh, Kohan household?
1: Wow. Um, So first of all, we're all doing, I have a really, you know, my immediate family is very small. My wife, Suzanne, we're going to be celebrating our 20th anniversary in November, which is pretty amazing. Congratulations. Uh, My parents just celebrated their 62nd. So, you know, uh, a good goal to uh, reach if I can, if uh, we can mimic them uh, and mirror them. My daughter is 16 going into grade 11, just started grade 11 the other day. And uh, my parents are um, they're doing well. They're 85 and 84. I think like any older people, the pandemic has been tough on them. But, um, you know, it's I think it's slowed down uh, people a little bit. But, uh, you know, I speak to my parents every day. I just saw them yesterday and, you know, they're a huge part of my life. So uh, the Kohan clan is doing well.
0: That is fabulous news. That's great. Well, with your permission, let's please go all the way back and get the Mark Kohan story. You are somewhat surprisingly not a native Torontonian.
1: Uh, no, I'm not. So I am a dual citizen of the United States and Canada. In 1967, when I was, well, really I'm early 68. Uh, our family moved here from Chicago. Uh, and you mentioned who my father is. You know, my dad was 28 years old, uh, young guy, became the first international licensee for McDonald's, and that's really what brought us to Canada. Uh, he was a young entrepreneur, no money. He, I think he had. He told me $2,000 when they got married because he was a tree trimmer and he fell out of a tree and got workman compensation. Um, I had a little bit of money and uh, luckily enough, through a client of his, uh, he met Ray Kroc and Borrowed a whole bunch of money and uh, started McDonald's here in Canada, and that's what brought us here. Um, and you know, my story is very much uh, you know growing up in this great city. You know, the Toronto of the '70s and '80s and '60s is much different than the Toronto of today uh then had a great international career in sports with major league baseball the nba went to school at university of the united states and eventually came back here almost 20 years ago so uh you know i have that's an abbreviated version right there but uh i i have affinity on both sides of the border but toronto is my home
0: absolutely and mark this is that was far too abbreviated for the purposes mm. of the toronto legends podcast we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna take you back through each little part of this. So, as you say, born in Chicago, Illinois, moved to Toronto when you were just two years old. What was your family unit growing up? Did you have siblings? Uh, your dad, you mentioned, was working. Was your mom at home? Was she working? Uh,
1: yeah, mom uh, was it was a uh, stay at home mom. But you know, it's funny. So my. Dad, my brother, and I—we're all like six feet, six one, you know, uh, over 185, 190. My dad might be 200 pounds. All relatively fit guys. My mom is five foot three, 108 (laughs) pounds, soaking wet. Uh, But she's the one who rules the roost, and she, um, you know, she, as my dad was, you know, building the company in Canada, in Toronto, you know, he was on the road all the time, you know, very busy, very active, and mom was, you know, great at. Uh, being there uh, for us. Now, let me, I want a a caveat on that. While dad was building the company, he also had this amazing tendency that whenever Craig and I would call, you know, my my brother Craig, we have two of us, uh, is two and a half years older than me. Okay. Two years, nine months, exactly. Um, And dad would drop anything, take our phone calls, even if he was in board meetings. And we always, you know, the family meal was also very important. So if he wasn't on the road, he would always try and come home for our dinner at nighttime. And it's a big part of my growing up. And I try and do that a lot with our daughter, Parker. We have family meals all the time and being around uh, over the weekend. So, you know, our early days uh, in Toronto, you know, I talked about my mom not working, but mom uh, was very much the, the glue in the family um and that was important for us
0: and mark where'd you go to junior high where'd you go to high school what was your uh
1: i went to south prep high public uh, high Forest school Hill. career uh, so to speak L- L- yeah 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 exactly went to south prep uh from kindergarten through grade eight uh and then i went to ucc in grade nine uh and it was quite interesting you know going from a public school to a private school i really and uh, i spoke spoken at ucc i really did not like my first two years there i felt academically i was a little bit behind i went from a co-ed school to an all-boys school and i was like what did my parents do this <laughs> to me for an all-boys school uh, but then as i started and this maybe led to my career later on as i started to get more involved in sports and you know uh, got on the football team eventually became one of the captains of the football team got on the basketball team on the tennis team. Uh, UCC really came to life for me uh, and, uh, you know, had fond memories of of my time there. And I think, you know, eventually when I became commissioner of the Canadian Football League, I fondly looked back at my times of playing at UCC. And, you know, it was a big part of my, uh, they're shaping me uh, as a young man. Um, And then after you know, after high school, went back to Chicago, went to university at Northwestern uh, in Chicago. Uh, and, you know, my family philosophy was, we have all of our, you know, I have all my friends who went to Western or Queens or any McGill. I was recruited to play university football at, at both U of T and McGill. Um, and I want to explore, you know, I want to expand. And, you know, I think going back to Chicago where I had some family, but meeting uh, you know, other students from all over the United States and all around the world, I, you know, that was a great move for me personally.
0: And if I understand correctly, during your high school years, you were a zookeeper at the Toronto Zoo.
1: <laughs> I was, and uh, I think that helped me when I became commissioner of the Canadian Football League. You know, having to deal with a lot of—I uh, won't say animals, but a lot of <laughs> yeah—you know, dealing with you know, shoveling a lot of crap. Um, but uh,
0: we, but, Mark, uh, we have a shared experience. I have to tell you, one of my high school jobs at uh, Center Island at the Centerville Amusement Park—that was my high school summer job—and when I got assigned to the pony ride. I learned that I did not love shoveling horse shit, especially the morning after a, a huge rainstorm. So, yeah, we, we both did our true. time in the trenches. That's
1: true. So uh, that was one of my favorite summer jobs. So I was a you know I had worked at the Toronto Sun. I was a construction worker, but two summers in a row, I was a student zookeeper at the Toronto Zoo. I'd have to get up at four in the morning. You'd arrive at the zoo at five thirty. You'd wake, uh, you almost wake up the animals because you're going into the different areas and you're laying out their food cleaning the cleaning their cages and i had amazing my first year i was in the america section australasia section sorry australasia section siberian tigers european buffaloes called weasins yaks camels uh loved it Uh, whenever i came home at the end of the day my mom always made me go through the back door because i smelled pretty bad (laughs) i to take (laughs) off all my clothes uh and go take a shower uh and then the second year i worked in um, a lot of the Americas. So polar bears, black bears, uh, uh, boa constrictors. And then I got periodically called in certain days. So I worked with the orangutans, uh, um, tapers. Uh, it was just an amazing experience. that was part of my love of animals that we'll probably talk about later. Cause I've seen that throughout my entire career and my life, uh, and even involved today with different
0: organizations that support wildlife. Well, you clearly do know your animals. You remember all your education (laughs) from those days. So, Mark, as you say, you went to Northwestern University. You got your bachelor of science majoring in communication. After university, you went on a expedition. Tell us about that.
1: Yeah, that was an amazing uh, experience. So, you know, we talked a little bit of my father, uh, you know, opening McDonald's in the former Soviet Union, uh, Russia today. Um, well, one as he was, it was a 14 year journey for him to do that. So one of the things that um, he did is that early on, he he had met this amazing um, entrepreneur, but explorer uh, in Russia named Dmitry Shparo, And Dmitry had trekked to the North Pole many times. And one of the things that he did he wants to trek across the North Pole, from Russia to the North Pole, to Northern Canada, to Alert. Um, and he was doing it with Canadians and Soviet, uh, and, and Russians at the time. And my dad and McDonald sponsored that uh, expedition. And I was my third year at university at Northwestern, and I was home uh, during spring break, and they premiered the film at the Ontario Science Centre, which my dad was chairing at the time, and I was like, I watched the film of these guys trek across the North Pole, and I was like, "Oh my God, this is unbelievable!" I would love to do something like this uh, in terms of an expedition. I, at the time, was interviewing uh, at, at different advertising agencies in Chicago because I was in a bachelor of science in communications, and some of the world's biggest ad agencies Footcombe, Belding, Leo Burnett—were all in Chicago. And I was interviewing with this one guy, and I was talking. He was talking about he was about to hire me, and I said, "Well, I had this idea. I was just home and." I saw this film about nine Soviets and four Canadians, and my my father had sponsored it. I would love to do something like that after I graduate. And he's like, Mark, if you do that, I will hire you when you come back from the Arctic. So don't even think about it. So basically, um, and I was motivated by this because my older brother, Craig, had had volunteered when he graduated from Western University with a thing called Operation Raleigh. Operation Raleigh was actually – founded by Prince uh, Philip at the time, uh, and Prince Charles, and it was sending students on science and service expeditions around the world. And my brother went, when he graduated from university, went down to Chile and worked on the extension of the Pan American Highway. He actually, it ended at a certain point, and by horseback, they went down through the Andes mountain ranges and found, you know, where to place the highway. So he did that, and it was a fascinating experience. And that organization i thought can i do something with them but operation raleigh was coming to an end in canada so the guy who chaired it was a famous canadian named dr joe mcginnis dr joe McGuinness is a famous underwater diver dove on the titanic dove under the north pole and i went to him and i said why don't we start a new charity and here's the idea about doing an expedition in the arctic so when i graduated i literally came back uh, helped found this charity uh, called youth challenge international and we did a three-month expedition in Siberia and the Canadian high Arctic and we did a film and it was just an amazing experience that you know led me into the world of sports uh, after that experience
0: well certainly that's quite a headline three months in Siberia and, yeah <laughs> and you returned to talk about it <laughs> with so, Mar- polar
1: bears and all that too
0: <laughs> when you got back Mark you did have stints you worked at the NBA as head of international marketing major league baseball international as head of corporate development In both cases your portfolios involved international growth of those sports you were certainly on the leading edge when you you see the subsequent growth of north american sports into europe and asia where were you living during these postings and and what was your international work experience like outside of canada
1: so it was amazing so you know as i said you know school in chicago came back to toronto well how i got into major league baseball is kind of interesting story so I I had individuals sponsor each of the students that went on this expedition. And one of them, one of the students I got uh, sponsored by an old family friend in in Los Angeles named Steve Greenberg. When I was in the Arctic, Steve actually became the deputy commissioner of major league baseball. So when I came back from the Arctic, you know, Steve, he was amazed by what we had done, you know, because I was doing everything from being interviewed on much music. We did a documentary. It was an international experience. It was like, unbelievable for me in terms of leadership and, you know, how do you look after 30 students in the Arctic? When I, you know, I grew up in goddamn Forest Hill. I wasn't, I wasn't, you know, an outdoors person, but I trained for it. I brought an amazing team around me of experts, Um, but, and, you know, in dangerous situations from polar bears coming right near our camp. So he actually, hired me when i when i came back from the arctic and i moved down to new york city and worked for major league baseball international and that was a partnership between nbc television the major league baseball owners and a company in in the uk and i worked on selling our international rights around the world our tv rights our events so i did the all-star tour to japan several years and brought baseball players like ken griffey jr and kirby puckett to and i was like 25 26 at the time. Uh, over to Japan, to Tokyo, to Osaka, to Fukuoka, um, and did events in Venezuela and in Italy. Uh, and even in London, we we took two minor league teams and turned the Foster's Oval, the cricket field, into a baseball diamond and mm. put on a baseball event. So early on in my career, that was an amazing experience uh, working for Major League Baseball and having the opportunity to work in dozens of countries around the world which eventually brought me to the NBA. And I'm happy to tell that story, too, of how
0: I got to work for David Stern. Well, please, you jump right into that. That is a good So, so David,
1: uh, you know, sadly, you know, David passed away a few years ago, and he's definitely been one of my mentors. Uh, but I was doing the all-star tour to Japan, and uh, I might have been 27, 28 years old at the time, and I'm sitting at the end of it in the Narita Airport in Tokyo. Uh, And luckily enough, I got to fly business class. So I'm in the red carpet lounge uh, and in walks David Stern, the iconic commissioner, you know, of the NBA. So I'm a young guy. I'm like, I have to meet him. So I go up to him. I say, hi, I'm Mark Kohan from Major League Baseball, Uh, just here doing the All-Star Tour. And at the time, NBA had just finished their tour of a few of their teams there. So he said, come sit and talk to me. So we talked about how Major League Baseball did the tour, comparing to how the NBA did the tour. We chatted a whole bunch of things. We sort of hit it off. He gave me his contacts. I fly back to New York and a few months later, basically Faye Vincent, the commissioner of the uh, Major League Baseball, gets fired. Um, there's a gonna, there's a strike in Major League Baseball. Steve Greenberg, who is the deputy commissioner uh, who hired me, leaves and starts classic sports television. He goes, Mark, come work for me. I reach out to David Stern and David was hired me to be the head of international marketing we sat down for a couple hours in his office and this is right at the time if you remember the dream team after barcelona mm-hmm. uh, mlb is at the at the cut no sorry nba is at the cutting edge of international marketing of their of their players michael jordan at the time if you think of akim elijah all those charles barkley uh, Shaq, um and i start to work for him and uh, you know work for him for six and a half years, both in New York City and then I moved to London about four years into it to open office for the NBA in London and work on international events in Europe and Africa and the Middle East. Um, and then eventually moved back to New York. Uh, but yeah, I love my time over in London, opening up the office, very entrepreneurial but very entrepreneurial too. You're in a big organization, but you can be the entrepreneur out in, uh, in the forefront. So it was an amazing experience.
0: Well, those are amazing experiences and clearly they helped shape you in, in going forward. I wanna pivot for a moment. You had come back to Toronto in 2002, but let's talk about a very fascinating part of your family story. Your father George brought McDonald's to not only Canada, but also to Russia. Your dad was born in Chicago. He was practicing corporate law. How did he end up moving to Toronto as the licensee of McDonald's Corporation for Eastern Canada?
1: It's an amazing story. You know, I talk about David Stern being one of my mentors. I uh, I did a TEDx talk a while ago and talked about making connections and trust. And a part of it, I think, I really saw it through my father. You know, at a young age, uh, my brother and I, Craig and I, would you know go on the weekends to his restaurants and watch him and we would you know if there was garbage in the parking lot we'd pick it up we'd walk around shake the hands of every customer go in the back talk to all the employees and i think i learned from him that and you know that helped me eventually when i became commissioner of the canadian football league in terms of how and we'll talk about that a little bit later how i interact with the fans and the players and our owners but What I saw with him when he got the opportunity to explore Russia, and you know, this goes back, it was a 14 year odyssey of getting McDonald's into the former Soviet Union. And you know, I was 10 years old there, and the story how it happened was McDonald's at the time, and my father owned this thing called the Big Mac bus, and it it was this luxury (laughs) coach, like kind of like what you would see rock stars today would tour around you know from city to city and they drive in these luxury coaches so it's called the big mac bus my dad would use it to tour with his team his restaurants in, in ontario so the canadian government calls my dad and says hey listen can we borrow the big mac bus because the soviet delegation is coming to montreal for the 76 olympics and if you remember the olympics were supposed to be in moscow in 1980 and uh um my dad said sure so i remember i'm 10 years old we're in montreal uh, for the olympics and we're walking to the forum uh for i think i think it was a basketball event and up drives the, the big mac bus and my dad walks up i'm with him my brother craig my mom is with us and he walks up and rcmp and a protocol officer says well you can't come in any closer this is the soviet delegation my dad says well i will just want to meet them and and they're coming off the bus and, and they, the protocol office says, well, you have to go through protocol to meet them. My dad said, the protocol is I own the bus. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, which is hilarious. The minister of trade in the Soviet Union understood English and laughed. So he came over and met my dad. My dad said, come on over. It's the, we just opened the 4000 McDonald's in the world across the Montreal Forum and took him to lunch. After that, my dad called Ray Kroc and Fred Turner, the, you know, the, the founder of McDonald's, and his number two guy, and said, hey, listen, Moscow um, is going to be hosting Olympics in 1980. Can I negotiate with them? Ray was sort of hesitant on it, um, and, but Fred said, why don't you go for it? And that started this 14-year journey to eventually open the first McDonald's in Moscow in, in January of 1991.
0: Uh, this first restaurant in Russia was, at the time, McDonald's biggest. It was opened with minimal involvement from the U.S. parent company for political reasons. It accepted only Russian rubles, not hard currency. And in the early days, the line to enter the restaurant was several hours long. Due to Soviet supply shortages, the company created its own supply chain, the Soviet Union, including farms and packaging. The corporate lore goes, Mark, that at the 1991 G7 summit in London, your father's personal friend, Canadian Prime Minister Brian Mulroney, personally complained... To the recently deceased mikhail gorbachev about the difficulties mcdonald's was experiencing doing business in the soviet union is that something that rings a bell and anything to add to that story
1: well well here's what i would have to say you know i never worked for the company but i had a front seat uh window uh, into it because dad would be home talking about it my he would bring my brother and i over for family trips over there and you know we got to meet uh Yakolev, you know alexander Yakovlev with the soviet ambassador to to Canada, him and Gorbachev became best friends. So if you think about Glasnost and Perestroika, they talk about Yakolev as the theologian, the person who wrote Perestroika and Glasnost, and, and, and Gorbachev was the preacher. So in talking about, you know, uh, I remember Mulroney and my father talking about what was going on. You know, Gorbachev wrote the, the preamble, the introduction to my father's book. Ah, uh, called to Russia with fries, and you know my dad was quite sad when. And we met Gorbachev many times, a great man. Um, you know, my dad. Um, you know, the one thing that, and this was interesting. You talk about the McComplex. The this is one, the only place in the world where McDonald's went vertically integrated, where they actually had to process their own food, work with their own suppliers, and and teach Russians how to grow potatoes, how to how to uh, grow the the cattle, raise the cattle properly. Um, All those type of things, how to grow the pickles so they get the right size, you know, uh, at the cucumbers for the pickles and and do that. So, um, you know, Gorbachev said the biggest impact McDonald had was in the agricultural system. So uh, and the supply chain. So, you know, it was a wonderful if I think about the time, seeing my father do that and the length it took. When I ever was complaining about stuff with work or thinking about, oh, I got a tough union negotiation at the CFL or I'm having a tough, t- a tough time concluding this television deal I'm trying to do. I always thought, oh, my God, my, it took my dad almost 15 years to get into Russia. This is this is child's play, what I'm doing. So it was a great lesson for me at a young age.
0: And, and your father, George, was subsequently named Russia's capitalist hero of labor. Uh, yeah. I, 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 I don't know if a trophy comes with that award, but uh, well, he was clearly... He Well regarded there.
1: Well, he, you know, he does have, uh, you know, the Order of Canada, the I think the Israeli Prime Minister Medal, and I think it's called the Order of Friendship from the Soviet Union, which Yeltsin gave to him. Um, But if you think about that, I mean, uh, you know, unfortunately, the way the world is right now, it's very difficult in 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 Russia, and obviously. Even more difficult in the Ukraine, uh, but you know we made amazing friends there and amazing people over the years. And you know, as my father is older now, a lot of those people we know have passed away, and their families, um, you know, still keep in touch with some of the the kids. But uh, I think the most important thing is that um, we've made. There are some great Russian people. There are great the 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 sense of family and bringing you into their house and having meals and breaking bread and and doing vodka shots, you know, that was some of my fondest memories of the former Soviet Union when I was growing up, uh, you know, uh, in my 20s of being over there and getting to know the people.
0: Well, let's go back when you talk about fond memories. Let's go back to the Canadian operations. Your father opened his first McDonald's in London, Ontario in 1968. Apparently, on this opening day, founder Ray Kroc offered to buy your dad's license for $1 million. Your dad rejected it grew the company tremendously. The Toronto Star recently published a 50-year-old photo of an approximately six-year-old Mark Cohan enjoying his McDonald's. That must have been great to see that photo again. And uh, I think you determined it was taken during one of your work breaks.
1: I think so. So, you know, one of the things, my dad didn't want uh, me or Craig uh, to uh, work uh, work for the uh, the business you know he always said that you guys should learn and do your own thing which I think that was uh, important uh, for us but um, that picture it was funny I got a call from a reporter there's this new uh, well there's a section in the star where they find old old photos from their archives and there was a picture of me at six years old eating a McDonald's cheeseburger and uh, uh, a, a little cup of soda there uh, and they asked me to inter- you know and they interview me about that experience and it goes back to As I said earlier uh, in the podcast, you know, being there on the weekends and going with my brother and my dad and touring some of the restaurants and working. And I think that was one of the breaks uh, in between restaurants where I, you know, I think my dad, all he did was pay us in cheeseburgers and French fries. So it was a a great way of, uh, it was was a a good bribe.
0: (laughs) It's a great way to learn when your reward is cheeseburgers and French fries. My own late father had memories. My grandfather had a diner at uh, Danforth and uh, broadview and the way he used to bribe uh my my father and his brothers was to uh throw nickels into the uh into the dishwashing water and that would force them to wash the dishes because they had to clean it all out if they wanted to get those nickels oh, that, mark other that's than your hilarious. stint of child labor did you ever work in a mcdonald's or at head office uh anytime from high school onwards
1: No, never did. I mean, the only days, the McHappy days, which my dad started, which was, you know, celebrities coming in and doing, you know, working uh, on that day to raise money for the Ronald McDonald houses, uh, Those are the only other times I had ever really spent time working at McDonald's. And, uh, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, learning how to make the Big Mac to all be patty, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions (laughs) on a sesame seed bun. And I used to know how to do it backwards, but I don't bun, seed sesame. I think I don't remember at all. But um, yeah, uh, I know, as I said, you know, uh, my parents want us to do our own thing. So that's why, you know, sort of did the expedition, in the pursued the sports career uh, and went down. Uh, you know, a different path, and so did my brother. And I think, you know, that I really respect my parents for um, doing that. Now, if you recall, though, Dad over time sold the company back, so it was no longer a family business. But you know, there is um, there are some great family businesses, but there is a graveyards of family businesses that have created so much dissent and arguments in families. Uh, I guess from the royal family down to you know those small businesses. And I think sure, uh, I I think. Um, You know, I think we're fortunate the way we did grow up and we we pursued our our own avenue Um, and, uh, you know, it's 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 done well for each of us.
0: Absolutely. Now let's talk about the Canadian Football League. Mark, you served two terms as commissioner of the Canadian Football League from 2007 to the end of 2014. Under your direction, the CFL went through a remarkable renaissance in which the CFL came back to prominence in Canada. Record TV ratings, the building of $2 billion worth of new stadiums, expansion back to our nation's capital in Ottawa, overseeing two labor agreements, the tripling of TV revenues with a new contract with Bell, and overseeing the national celebration of the 100th Grey Cup. What are your fondest memories from your time helming the CFL?
1: wow i mean there's so many neat experiences there but if i if now it's been almost you know it's been over seven years now it's amazing how time flies um and people still call me the commish which is kind of fun all right um but uh for me i guess it was a few things number one uh Love really getting to know a lot of the players. Um, listen, you know, having worked in major league baseball and NBA, great athletes, great players uh, in all the leagues. Uh, but the players that what I really enjoyed with these guys down to earth. You know, making a working man's living, a working person's living. You know, whether it's a seventy-five thousand year, maybe the highest paid player. Uh, at the time, would make a, a five hundred thousand Ricky Ray at the time, but great players because they were active in the community. In the off season, they were working whether it was real estate agents or trying to go to law school or being a firefighter or, or trained to be a police officer. So, love the players. I my fondest memories though is really sitting in the stands with the with the with the with the with the fans. Um, I made a decision. I think this goes back to my McDonald's days and learning from my dad. That, you know, of course, I'd have to go up to skyboxes and see our sponsors and uh, interact with various different people, whether it's politicians. But I very much enjoyed sitting in the stands, talking to the to the fans about what was going on in the league, getting their insights, getting their feedback. And for me, that was, you know, mission critical to me. And obviously there were highlights, you know, the 100th Grey Cup and the moment we the, the, the football and the Grey Cup came into the stadium after being on a tour of 8,000 kilometers across Canada um, or the times where I got to call players uh, and say, you know, you're former players, you're going into the game football hall of fame and the emotional reaction. All those things were something that were just uh, amazing to be a part and having Um, you know, being a steward of something that is so important to this country. And, you know, luckily enough, my experience both in Major League Baseball and the NBA really helped me in terms of, uh, you know, steering that league forward.
0: Well, you certainly were impactful. And in fact, in 2015, you received the Meritorious Service Medal from the Governor General of Canada for your transformative leadership of the CFL. Mark, I have to ask you, as a kid in Toronto, myself, in the 70s and 80s, it was really a big deal to watch the Argos playing in front of – They were Forty-five thousand people at Exhibition Stadium. Why aren't the Argos as important today in Toronto? Unfortunately, they're basically an, an afterthought at this point.
1: Yeah, which is—it's really difficult to see that. Um, and you know, we—we we, we had some flashes and some moments of real excitement around the Argos when when I was commissioner. But you know, you go down an hour down the QEW and Hamilton—it's sold out. Um, you go four hours in by car to Ottawa and we brought the Ottawa franchise back and sold out. Um, you know, Toronto, when we had the hundredth Grey cup, you know, almost 60,000 people in the stadium and 6 million people watching it on television, you know, amazing moments. Um, you know, Toronto, Toronto's a difficult one. I don't know the answer to how do you fix it in Toronto because, um, you know, we got our NBA team, we have our Major League Baseball team, we have our NHL team, you have the Bills just south of the border. I think a lot of the people like the American sports and like the more the larger professional sporting leagues. We thought moving them from the Rogers Center, you know, into uh, where Toronto FC plays would have helped, hasn't helped as much. Um, So, you know, I, the, the thing that perplexes me still to this day is that you will get hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people still watching Argo games on TSN, but that's not translating to people coming down to the stadium. And that's too bad because when you get down to that stadium and you go to an Argos game, it is amazing. And it's a lot of fun. So, yeah, um, you know, uh, the league, you know, uh, the league, you know, as I said, it's strong in a number of different markets, but it, you know, it over the years it's gone up and down and, Uh, You know, I think it's having, it's a little bit of a challenging time now. COVID has been uh, tough on it, but, you know, I have a great section of my heart that still uh, loves the league. Um,
0: Yeah. And I, you know, I wish him much success. Absolutely. I was going to ask you now that you are no longer the commissioner and by duty at that time, you had to love all the teams, but now that you're not, who is your favorite CFL team? Who are you cheering on?
1: (laughs) Well, it's it's funny. You know, everyone's going to say, okay, he's in Toronto. I've always have loved the Argonauts. Um, you know, uh, it's interesting when I was commissioner, we got a, um, and there's a picture right here, but this is an audio call of my last dog, a German shepherd. And it was right when I was leaving the CFL and I ended up calling him rider. Uh, and, uh, you know, Ryder was, uh, I got to turn this Ryder um, uh, was a German shepherd. And I spelled it differently than Saskatchewan Rough Riders. I spelled R-Y-D-E-R. Um, but I will say, and a lot of rider fans know, there's nothing like going to a CFL game uh, in Saskatchewan. It yes. is fun. It is exciting. You know, every stadium is a lot of fun, but I always had a lot of time when I was in Regina.
0: And I have to ask you about another Toronto legend. Is Mike Pinball Clemens really as nice a person as he seems?
1: I think you have you interviewed him. I think you've interviewed. Him, I right? I have
0: not, but once oh. he hears this, Mark, he's going to be on. I can I can you. Yeah, agree. Mike.
1: Uh, you know, if I found some someone who smiles more than me, and because people always tease <laughs> me that I smile a lot, I think it's Mike. He's an awesome guy. He's a great leader, great speaker, and you know, tell him after I've done this, you know, Mike needs to do this now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> great. Well, that's yeah. I appreciate that affirmation. I have to ask. In all your time as CFL commissioner, did you ever figure out what a rouge was? Mm -hmm.
1: (laughs) Yes. uh, And, you know, we uh, we did a lot of different rule changes. One of the things was moving the um, the uh, the field goal or or the extra point uh, back. And you saw the NFL do that. But um, I think one of the challenge, I think, of the CFL today is there used to be such a difference between the type of play of CFL football versus the NFL. You know um and i think now we're you know you had with san francisco that west coast offense where more 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 passing more players in motion and i think there's been more of a convergence between the two games as mo- and not as differentiated even though we have three downs versus four downs and the number of players are different on the field um i think there's more similarities between the game and i think maybe that has been a little bit more of a challenge for the cfl so Changing the rules or doing, you know, being creative about that, I think, is important for the for our current commissioner to think about.
0: Got to continue to evolve. Yep. Uh, Mark, in fall of twenty fifteen, you were appointed as the new chairman of the Canadian Academy of Recording Arts and Sciences, or CARAS. This being the nonprofit organization responsible for preserving and enhancing the Canadian music industry. You also oversee the annual Juno Awards and the Canadian Music Hall of Fame. How did this role come about? Because if I'm not mistaken, you're a music outsider. How did you get yeah. involved in this?
1: Definitely music outsider. So you know, if if I was more of the athlete in the family, my brother Craig was more of the musician. He he played saxophone and had a had a a, a, a cover band, did all Bruce Springsteen, uh, and not me. So I was not. <laughs> I was definitely more the athlete. So what basically happened? It was because of my CFL days. Phil King, who was the head of TSN and it was at Bell Media. Uh, Bell Media was the broadcaster for the June Awards, and uh, as I was leaving the CFL, uh, the chair role was coming up, and I got a phone call about six months after I left the CFL, and it was from Phil King, and he said, you know, I put your name forward to the Karis board because if you look at what the Junos are, um, the Junos are to music what the Grey Cup is to football in this country. It's the largest single celebration of music in the country every year where we celebrate the best artists in the world, just like the CFL does with our, with our athletes. There's probably a lot they can learn from you. So I went and I met with Alan Reed, the CEO. I met with um, a bunch of their leadership team and we just hit it off. And um, it was a natural evolution for me to become that chair. And it's been an amazing seven years. I've loved it. I've actually, we've just recently announced that I think, um, Usually the term is about four years, but during COVID, I stayed on to help the organization. Um, and Julie Adam uh, from Rogers Media, uh, who is a president of uh, Rogers News and Entertainment, is now uh, becoming the new chair actually uh, next week. Um, so okay. uh, pretty excited. She's uh, an amazing woman and will bring a new energy to that organization. But I will say uh, being part of the Junos was really fun. My daughter, Parker, She's like, daddy, now, you know, get tickets. We're going to try to go to the weekend <laughs> concert. <laughs> she loves it. So, um, you know, if you think of how Canada punches above its weight in terms of artists from around the world, like the biggest artists in the world. I remember maybe a few years back, you were looking at the billboards charts in the, in the United States and all the top artists were Canadian. Drake, Justin Bieber, Sean Mendes, Alessia Cara. Um, you know, it's amazing to think about how big our canadian artists are on the world stage and we just keep on pushing out amazing talent uh, you know a lot from from the toronto area
0: well you've had a great run mark and uh, in may you received an honorary juno for your leadership over the past seven years uh, i'm glad you told me you're you're changing over in a week i still got your ear as you oversee the canadian music hall of fame i have to ask you mr chairman where is gowan The Box, (laughs) Platinum Blonde, Glass Tiger, the people will not stand for these oversights.
1: (laughs) Wow, those are a lot of uh, names that I knew growing up, Uh, definitely. Problem is there's a lot of names that have to go in the Hall of Fame. I think one of the things that we've been working on is rather like every year we do one that is part of the Juno broadcast um, and uh, we're looking now, and we did it a few years ago, just before COVID, of doing multiple inductions. Uh, the, the the Canadian Music Hall of Fame now is at the National Music Center in Calgary. So before COVID, we had our first one where we put uh, five uh, people into the Hall of Fame at the same time. Uh, this next wave will be like that. So you know, hopefully, some of those names that you talked about, who's <laughs> a strange animal, uh, we we,
0: we but, must get those people yeah. and acts in there. Good. I'm glad we'll you're it. on this, Mark. <laughs> the uh, Let's talk about the Georgian Bay Spirit Company. You are the chairman and a co-owner. It's one of the fastest growing Canadian craft spirits companies. One thing in particular I want to ask you about is the Georgian Bay Spirit Company's amphibious car. Where did it come mm. from? Who is it named yeah. after?
1: George, uh, that's very funny. So, you know, uh, let me just jump back for one second because, you know, a lot of opportunities in your life uh, come through friends and contacts and relationships. If I think about all the things I've done, it's making relationships and seizing opportunities. So how I got involved with that company was... uh, I was up at a friend's cottage or farm and I tried this Georgian Bay gin smash. It was the first season it came out in 2016. I'm like, this is amazing. Uh, And our friend said to me, well, you're going to meet the founder of the company. It's my, it's my brother-in-law. So I met Danny uh, that night up at the farm. We had a bunch of gin and gin smash. We hit it off and I became one of their first investors and became the chair of the company. And uh, one of the things I did was like, okay, gin smash is an amalgamation. When you talk about a a smash, it's different flavors, it's botanicals, it's fruit flavors, it's gin, it's soda. That's the concept of a smash. And My father at the time used to collect these things called Amphicars, uh, and they're boats and cars built in the 60s. So this one car, 1967, my dad sold one of them, gave one to a charity in the former Soviet Union, and then gave one to his best friend, my Uncle Kenny, who was the founder of Max Milk, you know, my dad's best friend. Mm. So... uh, I recently bought that car back from my Uncle Kenny, and we branded it with with, uh, Gin Smash logos and use it um, uh, as a promotional car, but we called it George for two reasons. Not one, because my father, uh, and two, also because of Georgian Bay. So it's a great little car. It has a little bit of hole in the bottom, so we don't take it in the water. We gotta gotta repair it this winter. Last time I took it out with my partners, it started to fill up i'm like let's get back to shore <laughs> so uh but it's a it's an awesome little thing and it turns heads when whenever you uh drive it or bring it into the water people are just amazingly shocked and this thing was built in 1967. the the, the guy who who created this car actually once drove it across the english channel so it's pretty wow. seaworthy.
0: well that's quite a the thing they definitely built them better back in the day i hope you get that bottom fixed you can get back in the water in the 2013, Mark, you were made a member of the Order of Ontario, the most prestigious civilian honor, demonstrating the best of Ontario's caring and diverse society. Congratulations. That is quite Thank an you. honor. What do you remember about the ceremony and where do you keep your chain?
1: Uh, uh, so what I remember about this ceremony was um, my whole family being there. So when I say my whole family, you know, it was my wife, my daughter, um, my parents, my brother flew in my in-laws and just having them around me uh, at this very special ceremony was, was amazing. But the thing that was going through my head was, Oh my God! There are famous doctors. There, there are people who have done so much in the community. There was Adam O'Goyne, I think, who, uh, the film director. I was like, how the hell did I get this? <laughs> uh, you know. Uh, so um, I wear the pin on my lapel whenever I wear a jacket. And in my office right now uh the actual medal actually sits right behind me so uh it and it was it was a special moment for me also because my father has the order of ontario as well and he also has the order of canada so uh seeing the two of us together generationally both getting it was was very special for me
0: that is fantastic now mark you are a fan and supporter of the city i want to ask you about mayor john torrey he appears on track to win a third term in the upcoming municipal elections Uh, What do you think of his leadership and and what are Toronto's challenges? What can Toronto be? Where is the city heading?
1: So, you know, uh, the mayor, uh, maybe five, six years ago, got me uh, to ask me to chair this new organization called Toronto Global. So Toronto Global was was funded by three levels of government, the feds, the province, the city and also all the municipal like Mississauga, Brampton, Halton, York and Durham to promote Toronto around the world. And you know, if I think about Toronto right now, there's so many amazing things going on here in terms of our tech sector, the fastest growing uh, city in North America, the most number of cranes in the world in terms of new buildings, uh, you know, but we didn't do a great job of promoting ourselves around the world. And uh, he asked me to do that. So I think from From the time we did the Amazon bid, we got a lot more profile and you're seeing more and more discussion around Toronto around the world, whether it's in the New York Times or CNN or Bloomberg News, uh, because of the amazing things that are happening here. And I think part of that is because John or Mayor Tory really does know how to promote the city. When I put him in front of businesses, he's a great salesperson. Uh, He loves the city, but we have challenges like any city that gets to the size we are. I mean, if you think about just the region that Toronto Global represents, that's six and a half million people. The, you know, the core five, you know, if you go all the way down to the whole golden horseshoe, you're over eight million people. Um, infrastructure, you know, so building more of these subways are mission critical. Uh, affordable housing, so you, it's not just wealthy people who live downtown that can afford it. You know, looking out for those who are less fortunate for us, um, you know, continue to make sure we have a great educational system, which is both the city responsibility, but also provincial responsibility. All those things that drive us are critical. And I think, you know, the, the governments are all focusing on those issues. Um, but I never thought that I was, you know, when I left to go work in for Major League Baseball, in Lima, I never thought I would come back to Toronto. Uh, but, you know, the Toronto of today is pretty exciting. The Toronto mm-hmm. today of the diversity and The growth of the tech sector and what's going on in our uh, biosciences and what's going on in our manufacturing sector, uh, what's going on. And, you know, there's so many interesting things uh, happening here that I at the time I thought Toronto was sleepy. Now, I think there's no better place in the world to be.
0: I'm with you and you and I are the same, Mark. Toronto, we love it. It's very important to us. The other thing that's the same for us is family. And clearly, that's as important to you as it is to me. You have said that your family has an expression, roots and wings. What does that mean?
1: So it's pretty simple. My, my parents said, you know, we're going to give you the foundational roots, you know, how you treat people, you know, your work ethic, um, you know, uh, whether your faith is important to you or not. And then give you the wings to fly. And I think that's what my parents did, you know, how we treat people, how we interact with our friends, how we think about family and close friends, how we get involved with the community is all things I saw at a very young age. And then that created the foundation to go do it on our own, you know, so whether it was me pursuing my international career, whether it's me pursuing my love of wildlife and things like that, that was my parents saying now go fly um, and it's a great expression and I think it's a one that you know we use with our daughter Parker today.
0: Absolutely and it's great you know as you note, know, you've really applied your father's hands-on approach to your own career and your own work. Mark let's play a quick round of internet true or false we all Uh-oh. know that the internet isn't always <laughs> true but let's see first one in 2001 you lived for a month in the rainforest of Sumatra to assist field scientists studying orangutans true or that, false
1: absolutely true and I wish sometimes I was still there <laughs> <laughs>
0: internet true or false your older brother craig helped bring coca-cola to russia and now lives on a barge on the river thames it doesn't say whether this is london england or london ontario
1: it is london england and that is true uh yeah he's a great entrepreneur he's fluent in russian um, and craig is doing his very he's turning 60 next year he is doing a walk from London to Istanbul, six months journey, and my goodness. he hasn't launched yet. It's going to called uh, Walk It Back. It's all about getting rid of his carbon footprint. Um, so you'll hear more about that as we get closer to the end of the year. But uh, you know, if I thought I've, you know, done well in my life, he's a he's a great inspiration for me too.
0: Well, I want to give you one file, internet true or false. A little more serious. This one, in two thousand and four, your father George was rejected from the Toronto's Rosedale Golf Club due to his Jewish heritage. After being taken to court, a judge ruled this was unlawful. What was that whole experience like? And uh, if true, and and uh, certainly times have changed significantly since then. But it must have been very difficult on your father at the time.
1: So it wasn't a judge. So false on the on the ruling. But you know, essentially what happened at the time, and I think my dad has shared this story. Um, a bunch of his friends came to him and said, you know they were members of the club you know this is not great that we have no jewish members george you are one of the first pers- people like you know you think about toronto differently when my parents moved here in the 60s um you know it was very segregated in terms of the italian community the jewish community or the protestant community people were very separated in terms of how they thought about things i remember our first home in here. we were only one of the jewish on one of the first jewish families in the near UCC as my parents started to have some success. So a bunch of his friends came to him and said, George, we're members of, of, of Rosedale. We think you know we need you to join, a Jewish member. They put his name for At the time, Rosedale actually had a blackball rule. And they came back to him and said, we think you're gonna get blackballed. Only one person uh, can blackball you. So they said, withdraw your, your, your name. We're gonna change the rule. It took some time. They changed the black ball rule and they said, George, will you resubmit it? My dad even went to his rabbi, Rabbi Ploud at the time, said, George, should, I mean, rabbi, should I do this? And the rabbi said, yes, because if you don't do it and if, if anyone's going to do it, George, you're going to do it and pave the way. So uh, they changed the rule. My dad became a member. I'm a member today. We have a lot of Jewish friends there uh, as well. You know, we don't we don't look at people, whether they're Jewish or Protestant or black or white or, or Chinese. I mean, our, we're very. Um, you know, I would say the Toronto back then was hopefully a different of Toronto uh, than today. Now, I've had this conversation with a lot of my black friends and they would say, Mark, there's just as much racism today. We have ma- major challenges. And I, and I would agree. You know, we face anti-Semitism when we, grew, when we moved here. Uh, you know, a crazy story. I, we still have time. Um, and, you know, when my dad was first getting his success and we built a built. A, her first home in Forest Hill Road, um, you know, he came home, home home one night, and the woman next door he heard the the screen porch open, and she said the dirty Jew is home. Hmm. Uh, he came in, he came into the house. I was maybe five or six years old, maybe a little younger than that actually, and said, "Boys, we're going to buy the house next door." Uh, He called his lawyer uh, uh, and quietly they bought the house, you know, they didn't know who's buying it uh, and he tore it down and became our side yard. So I learned a valuable lesson of sticking up for yourself. And, you know, I think Toronto um, is much more accepting, you know, one of the most diverse cities in the world. But we still have our challenges. Uh, Sure. We still have. uh, But I. Uh, But that story reminds me of how I interact with people and how I treat people. And, you know, I think that's an amazing lesson uh, from my father. And, you know, that kind of circles back to the
0: Rosedale uh, story as well. Sure. And back to the golden rule. Treat others as you want to be treated. Mark, you've been great with your time as we wrap up. I want to ask, what are your plans for the remainder of 2022 and
1: beyond? Um... Well, as you know, I'm involved in a lot lot of different things. I'm on the board of the Great Canadian Entertainment Company, which is the biggest casino operator. uh, You know, I still am chairing Toronto Global. I help with trying to expand our our spirits company. And I've just gotten involved with a great company called Cookin, uh, which this one's very cool. uh, If we still have a minute. Uh, Absolutely. Cookin is uh, founded by uh, two uh, great entrepreneurs here in Toronto. And if you think of what the personal your personal car was to uber or what your home or your apartment is to airbnb uh, cooking is what your home kitchen is to aspiring chefs or chefs who are out of business so this is a platform that we're just launching in toronto as, as a beta phase now and soon to come out in october uh, that allows chefs and cooks to cook from home uh, and and sell the product on a platform just like uber eats And we're creating that platform, and it gets delivered to your home. I had Thai food last night from this amazing chef uh, who cooked from home. It was so good. So I'm involved with that. But the one thing I haven't told you about, I'm actually thinking of doing a podcast, not getting in competition with you, Andrew. (laughs) Oh, Uh, here we go. uh, uh, But I've just started to think about, you know, like you, I love talking to people. I have uh, a lot of my network from around the world is really interesting. I want to hear the stories of... What you know, you heard a lot about my father. I want to dig into people's background about what really influenced them and what, uh, and do they have some great mentors uh, and you know, that ancestral roots, so there's something there. So I'm just starting to toy with that idea right now. So I might come back to you for some advice.
0: I think it's a fabulous idea and we're going to take a meeting, Mark. Okay. It was It was really great having you. Where can we best follow you and all the various projects?
1: Um, you know, I don't know. I don't, you know, I do a little bit of social media. My Instagram account is sort of close to friends, but I, you know, I tweet once in a while and then I'm LinkedIn. So if you want to, you know, look at Marco Cohen on, on LinkedIn or on my Twitter account, uh, you know, that's great ways of, uh, trying to stay in touch with me.
0: Excellent. Well, enjoy the rest of the fall. I wish you continued success. We're definitely going to get together and talk more. And thanks again. Thanks, Andrew. I really enjoyed it. To the listener. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Toronto Legends Podcast. On behalf of Mark Kohan, I am Andrew Applebaum saying mahalo.